Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks, and today we unpack, we unpack a Black Rocker Electronic Arts and Chipotle with uh, Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss. Gary, thank you for being with us today, and a good afternoon to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Should be fun. All right, you've chosen American stocks uh, today. Talk to us about why you've gone in this direction. Yeah, we're going all offshore, and uh, I think for South African investors, the, the benefit is clear. You, you get to diversify away from a, a South African environment. Uh, we mostly live and work here, uh, if you're a South African, so to have some some assets overseas uh, does make sense. Uh, obviously, you've got your, your various allowances that you can take the money uh, out of the country in, and uh, with, I suppose, uh, global platforms these days, it's, it's easier than ever to, to access these kinds of securities. So um, you've got the diversification, and, and of course, you've, you've had the performance as well. So when you do see a weaker, a weaker local currency obviously you get the translational currency impact as well so you get these uh, lovely uplifts uh, when we have level six load shedding and uh, suddenly the rand is trading at 1920 uh, you can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that some of your money at least is invested uh, globally now i must ask you about your first pick uh, it's the world's largest asset manager a black rock uh, talk to us about this account again no, well, BlackRock, as you said, largest uh, asset manager in the world. Uh, it's it just absolutely incredibly big. So the, the AUM, they're looking at about 10 trillion, it's just under $10 trillion. Um, so it's it's difficult to even imagine uh, that, that size. Uh, if you take all the, the federal, uh, federal, local and state spending in the US, uh, that's about the same as the size of the assets under management. Um, and when you've got uh, assets of that size, obviously it, uh, it, it really does uh, play into an economy of scale for, for for a company like this, uh, you can, you know, there's an operating leverage in asset managers, as, as many asset managers and firms will understand. Uh, you know, it, it costs a certain amount to build your platforms, it costs a certain amount to do the research and build the underlying products. Um, but then for every uh, rand or every dollar that you add to that product uh, over time, uh, it essentially drops straight to the bottom line of the business and uh, and, and that operating leverage uh, plays out. So with, with the largest, uh, you know, with such a large uh, AUM, uh, they, they really do have a, a competitive advantage in terms of cost. They can make their, their costs uh, a lot cheaper than any competitor. Um, and that's just the one aspect of it. I mean, they've obviously got the technological aspect as well. We're seeing the, the rise of AI at the moment and uh, the idea that uh, the traditional, I suppose, distribution channels for, for asset management products uh, may change significantly when you don't need a financial advisor. You don't need to, uh, uh, to chat to anyone. You can really just go onto your, your AI app and you can uh, you know say, I've got this much money to invest. This is who I am. Please give me some financial advice. That, that is a very realistic possibility in the next, say, uh, five to ten years, even, and uh, and in that world, you want a company that uh, has the ability to innovate, uh, an ability that has a you know the established assets and and the, and the balance sheet that can invest in that those types of uh, those types of technologies, and it's it's something uh, BlackRock has a proven track record of doing. It's uh, it's Aladdin uh, system is uh, is a favorite. Uh, you know, it was it was developed in 1999, but it's a favorite among uh, you know the big the big banks, the likes of BNP and Citibank uh, use their technology and have uh, for years and years and years and they've got a significant development team that, that keeps it really at the cutting edge and, and you can only believe that in the next 10 years they will be rolling out these kinds of tools. I must also ask you about the ESGOs they're seeing there. It's a very interesting dynamic isn't it because it is the world's biggest uh, asset manager here Gary but it looks like their investors are trying to uh, ensure that they continue to prioritize profits over uh, ESG uh, targets. Uh, what do you make of this? And I guess for, for the whole asset management uh, industry here, where investors uh, might insist uh, that the fiduciary duty here is to ensure that their profits or their money is maximized uh, and then everything else being secondary. 
That's well, a good question. <laughs> so if you, if you look at it, the, the, the return that BlackRock has uh, delivered since since its listing to shareholders has been significant. It's, it's the best form, performing financial stock on the S&P 500. I think it's done uh, a total return of around 7,700%, um, far outpacing anything else. So, so clearly it, it is the type of firm that has shareholders interest at heart, which is which is what you want to hear. Um, you know, there are some valuation concerns, I suppose, as well. I mean, you are going to pay kind of uh, six times sales uh, for a business that has, uh, you know, uh, you know, last five years a compound annual growth rate of about five percent. But you know, specifically around ESG, you know, when you when you're a business uh, the size of, of BlackRock and, and I suppose any financial services business, you're quite uh, I suppose used to balancing the you know one the concerns of shareholders uh, against the the various regulatory requirements and and, and the and the demand from your customers. I, I, any business uh, as successful as BlackRock has to okay. be. And uh, you know, with the rise of ESG, okay. it's it's if if it's demanded by the clients, um, you know businesses adapt and you can already see the, the rise of ESG funds and and of course a lot of ESG is also driven through regulation so it's, mm. it's not necessarily just through through client demand mm -hmm. uh, which obviously companies naturally respond to um, it's driven by the regulator and I can tell you an asset manager like uh, BlackRock uh, you know has has certainly had its experience uh, with compliance hurdles uh, in the past. Let's move on now to electronic arts. So, I mean, when I saw electronic arts, I had no idea what that is. But then you Google it and you're like, oh, it's EA. <laughs> uh, let's just talk about a discounter and why you've gone with this gaming one uh, for now, Gary. Well, that's what the, the, the trends in gaming are very, very clear. So if you look at uh, the, the compound annual growth rate of the, the gaming sector, the expected compound annual growth rate of the gaming sector uh, over the next seven years, so taking us out to 2030, uh, it's expected to grow at, at an average of about 13.5% per year, which puts it uh, as, as an aggressive uh, growth growth sector. Um, there's only really four ways that you can get exposure through the listed space, uh, and that's through Activision Blizzard Take Two, uh, you know, at least three ways, the Activision, Activision Blizzard Take Two and, and EA. And if you look at uh, you know how the companies have performed recently, uh, you know, I've taken EA. It's 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 lagged the pack a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of its five-year uh, compound annual revenue growth, it's sitting about seven and a half percent. Take two is a little bit more aggressive, but it's already up thirty-six percent for the year. Mm. Um, and Activision is only up at about one and a half percent over the last five years, but it's also up twenty twenty percent for the year. So it does seem like you've got a nice entry point into this. Um, it's not not particularly expensive, uh, and uh, you know. If you look at uh, the, the underlying investment case for for gaming in general, uh, yes, you've got the the aggressive growth, but the, you've also got uh, you know so many ways that the, these games are monetized, and it really does look like the the future of entertainment. Everything from from you know free to play games that uh, you know have microtransactions within them, to to subscription offerings, to uh, digital assets being sold in digital marketplaces. It's it's a very exciting space, uh, and it really is uh, you know kind of capturing that that whole tech. At the, at the same time, you've got the the network effects of those massive uh, online multiplayer. Communities, uh, players become very, very sticky. They they stick to the games and, and the, the the investment in both time and money that they've made into the the ecosystem. So you do you do tend to get very, very sticky customers as well. And then of course. Uh, from an electronic arts' point of view specifically, I mean, they've got incredible brands and partnerships uh, through FIFA, uh, Star Wars, NFL, Battlefield, uh, which is their first-person shooter, and then, and then Apex Legends as well. So it's uh, it's uh, definitely, for me, a solid investment case. It has uh, underperformed the S&P 500 slightly, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, I mean, you know, 
they've, they've had a, a little bit of a delay on the, or they had a delay at least on the, on the launch of their Star Wars Jedi Survivor mm-hmm. um, uh, product. It, it was meant to be launched in March, came out 28th of April. It hasn't got a great rating on Steam at the moment, which is obviously a, an international, it's a, a gaming platform. Um, you know, it's sitting at a six out of 10. So they seem to have missed on, on that product specifically, which has helped to bring the share price back. And I think is, is giving them, uh, you know, giving investors at least a, an interesting uh, interesting entry point into into a company that has a long track record of, of delivering the goods. An interesting uh, part of this business is Saudi Arabia's uh, sovereign wealth fund uh, slowly increasing its stake in EA. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of it. What we are seeing is a lot of, uh, you know, investments uh, from that part of the world moving uh, to, uh, you know, uh, the United States with EA like this. Uh, what does it tell you, uh, Gary, that, you know, uh, the wealth fund would be slowly increasing their stake in a company like EA? It tells me that the smart money knows where to where, where to move. <laughs> so um, again, I think you know they're diversifying. You know, sovereign wealth. Uh, uh, he said it's Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I haven't actually looked at the. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't looked at the the underlying moves in, in the shareholding register recently, but uh, it it makes sense. It, it's it's a nice. It would be a nice diversified uh, position for them, and and it, and it truly is a global. It's a global business. It, it's got an appeal, you know, specifically through the sporting franchise as well. It's it's uh, I suppose a little bit more friendly as well uh, in terms of the sporting franchise, but it's it's well known and and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's a premium premium stock and uh, and probably worth uh, picking up. Yeah, and if you, I mean, if you know anybody and you know FIFA, you'll know that EA is definitely in your home in one way or another, Gary. Let's talk about a CMG now. It is Chipotle, isn't it? Chipotle, correct. Yes, yes. Uh, Chipotle, Mexi- Mexican <laughs> yes. girls. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a U.S. Uh, fast food mm. restaurant. Uh, you know, competing with the likes of uh, McDonald's or, or KFC. And uh, it's just, it's seen absolutely staggering growth over the last five years. So if you look at the, the share price performance specifically, uh, over the last five years, up 307% compared to the S&P 500, only up 55%. So it's been a, a massive winner. And I suppose the, the question that, that uh, investors should be asking themselves is, can this uh, price momentum continue? Can mm. can this uh, company continue to deliver this kind of return, uh, this kind of pace of return for, for investors? And uh, it's my assessment that they, they definitely can. So if you look at the Again, their compound annual revenue growth—that's uh, up at 14% over the last five five years. Um, it's showing our price to sales uh, multiple of only uh, 5.7 times, uh, and that's uh, a lot cheaper than the the eight times uh, price to sales number that you're getting from McDonald's, um, which has only delivered uh, a not point. Uh, 0.032% compound uh, annual revenue growth over the last five years. So you can see McDonald's is, is uh, in a position that it's a, a little bit more um, established and it, it's struggling to find growth. But uh, with a market cap on Chipotle of only 50 billion uh, and a market cap on McDonald's of around 200 billion, there's there's a lot of market share that Chipotle can still take. So I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, runway left for the business. And uh, and also I think it's it, it's definitely tapping into to the the consumer health trends. Uh, specifically around fast food. You kind of drive around, you want to grab a quick bite and uh, you've got your option between KFC and McDonald's. You think, oh, I just wish I could have something a little bit more healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where Chipotle is really finding finding its niche, you know, delivering salads, it's uh, responsibly sourced goods, no additives to their, their products as well, but still, um, you know, that quick service delivery. So uh, an interesting business definitely, uh, you know, got an aggressive growth path planned. There's around uh, 3,250 stores uh, or at least rest- restaurants open uh, at their last results. And 
and uh, and they're planning to to open up to 7,000. They're looking at international expansion. Um, you know, in 2024, we'll see the first restaurants uh, appearing in Kuwait and the UAE. Uh, so it is uh, definitely it looks like a, 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 the strategy is to, to continue growing, and uh, uh, to, you know, it, it seems to also be able to tap into the, the right technology. So it's uh, you know it's been recognized by Time Magazine as uh, one of the most innovative companies uh, when it comes to to the way that it delivers its uh, products. So I, I think all around uh, it's not not cheap, uh, you know, at uh, at, at five times sales, uh, but uh, but uh, yeah. Cheaper, cheaper than McDonald's and, and worth adding to a portfolio. Gary, only in the United States could a fast food chain list and grow at this pace, could it? I mean, we have a few here. We've got the likes of famous brands, but those are groups, you know, within it, there's uh, quite a few brands, but not with a, a, something like Chipotle, where it really is uh, seeming to be a very strong force on the markets. And really, it's that American fast food culture, isn't it? I don't know if that's true because mm. uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, the fast food culture in America, you know, it. I don't know if it doesn't translate to the rest of the world because mm. because it clearly does so with, with the global dominance of brands like McDonald's, uh, you know, which we, we create the, the the Big Mac index specifically because their products are so ubiquitous. But uh, if you look at even even our local restaurant group, something like Spur, and you look at the, the most recent Spur updates, you can definitely see that uh, you know in, in more tougher economic times, the, these do tend to be very very defensive uh, businesses to to invest in. And you know when when times are tough, when interest rates are high, and you maybe can't take a, an overseas trip or or treat the family to do a holiday away um, you can at least go out to your spur or, or, or in in, um, uh, in in the US you know we don't have Chipotle here unfortunately mm-hmm. you, you can still go and pick up a Chipotle meal you know just you know make, makes life a little bit better mm-hmm. so I think uh, I think yeah that defensive quality you know it, it, it will translate to other markets and, and I mean we've seen we've seen this path uh, in the likes of KFC and McDonald's uh, you know successfully being uh, adopted internationally and there's, there's no reason that I can see that uh, Chipotle wouldn't uh, follow suit. Very interesting. We'll be watching for this one. Uh, very much um, keen, keen on Mexican food, Gary. Let's talk now about, uh, you know, for retail investors and their benefit. If uh, an investor sitting at home and would like to invest in these stocks, in what order would uh, you uh, buy these? I'm trying to give a, a fairly diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could probably buy all three of them and, and, and just leave those as your portfolio. And I think you'll do pretty well okay. <laughs> over the next five years. Okay. Uh, but if I had to pick one today, just based on on the on the technical picture, uh, I, I like Chipotle. That's probably going to be ranked as my as my number one entry point. Um, Electronic Arts is kind of sitting in the, in the middle of a, a channel. So you know, if if possible, I'd like to pick it up at uh, at the bottom of that channel. Um, I'd probably rate that as third. Um, and then BlackRock, BlackRock. You know, after the significant pullback uh, that, that we've seen from from the highs uh, around uh, uh, you know around 2021 over that COVID period, where everyone was just looking for the defensive uh, defensive stocks, and of course, it's it's revenue a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more prone to the fluctuation of, of general financial markets. I'd probably rate that second because I think, you know, it does look like we, the, the worst is behind us in terms of we've, well, I hope the worst is behind us. So we've gone through a COVID crash. We've gone through a Russia, Ukraine and inflation-based uh, bear markets. And hopefully if, if financial markets perform well, you know, and start to perform well just based on improvements in technology, it could be, could be for a lot of reasons. So we've seen quite a resilient U.S. Ooh. I'd probably go to Portly first, BlackRock second, and uh, and EA, Electronic Arts third. And then, of course, uh, we have our uh, education segment here on uh, Business Lunch and on uh, Stock Picks. And this uh, afternoon, we're speaking about metrics, but very specifically price to sales versus a price to earnings. Gary, speak to us about these. 
Okay, so I, I mentioned price to sales on, on a couple of the, the, the uh, ratios, and, and I think the, the easiest way to understand it is to start with a very well-known uh, price to earnings ratio. So P ratio is uh, its evaluation measure. So it's, it's you know what it says almost in, in, in the headline. It's price divided by earnings. So you take either the stock price divided by the earnings per share, or you take the, the market cap divided by the, the earnings line on the income statement. That gives you your your, your P ratio, or, or your sometimes called the earnings multiple as well. Uh, uh, you know, typically the lower the earnings multiple is, you're paying a lower price uh, for the earnings that you're receiving from the share. Growth stocks obviously have uh, fairly high uh, PE ratios because you're expecting that E to grow. And if the you know if the denominator of the ratio grows, uh, then the ratio comes down. So you would expect if the earnings are growing that you would accept a higher price earnings ratio today with the idea that it'll drop uh, in future. Value stocks are the other way around. They they tend to have lower PE ratios uh, because uh, you know that E might be a, a little bit more stable. But uh, you know, you're, you're looking, uh, you're looking for you're essentially value. You're looking to get the most E for your price. So you want to get a nice low price earnings ratio, so that there's a percentage you're getting more earnings for what you're paying up for. Um, so that's that's what you're looking at in terms of the price earnings ratio. Now the reason that I, I often look at the price to sales ratio, and you've got to look at all of these in context, is uh, that it really depends on the underlying investment investor base mm-hmm. uh, as to as to what is more relevant. And you're seeing in the U.S. specifically that uh, you know a company like Amazon, for example, you know it, it it doesn't necessarily want to deliver earnings, but there's still a lot of value growth for for investors, and and that's where the, the price to sales ratio comes in. It's essentially exactly the same as the PE ratio, but instead of looking at the the bottom line of the income statement. So instead of looking at earnings, you're looking at the top line. So you're looking at sales, and and what that's giving you is is an idea of uh, you know how fast the, the company is growing. It's giving you an idea is it able to take market share? Are customers actually buying more now? Of course, with with either a P ratio or, or a price to sales ratio, you need to look at it in the context of the overall business. It's easy to manipulate either one mm-hmm. uh, because you know if you're a if you're a, a, a a, uh, a CEO that has been uh, employed by a big listed company, and your your bonus is purely linked to to an improvement in in, in revenue. For example, it's very easy to do that at the yeah. expense of the business. You go out there and you, you make ridiculous acquisitions, and you keep buying things, and you boost up your revenue line, and and suddenly uh, you know you've got this big big lift in your in your sales, uh, which obviously brings down your price to sales ratio. It makes your company look nice and cheap. The problem is those deals might be negative for your company. So you've just got to you know, kind of uh, put that in context. You've got to think about these ratios yeah. uh, and how you use them, yeah. but uh, but definitely a good a good indication of, of how a company is growing and whether it's uh, able to take market share. Well, Gary, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Stock Picks, and I hope we can catch up again soon. That was Gary Boyson from Rancis with your Tuesday edition of Stock Picks.